0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Adam Finney is the director of Mariposa FC, a small club located in a small town that is mostly known as being the gateway to yosemite national park the town of mariposa is a classic case of u.s soccer's struggle to include rural and geographically isolated communities at one point adam was even told that mariposa fc would be removed from the norcal gaming circuit if they failed to produce a team but in a town of just 1500 people and a one-hour drive to the next nearest club's home field on top of that It's hard to expect that each age group would be able to produce a team year after year. So that did not stop Adam from pushing forward. The struggles that Adam encounters with his club and high school teams would drive most coaches insane. He literally has every excuse at his disposal. He could give up and everyone would probably understand. He is doing the exact opposite though. Instead of throwing in the towel, he has started weekly pickup games for kids of all ages to participate in. He has continued to educate himself as a coach and a club director. He has developed a clear vision of how he wants his teams to train and play. All of that has translated to a noticeable identity on the field, increased participation, and an experience that kids truly look forward to. Adam is also Like the unofficial mayor of Mariposa. And I joked with him about that when I was up there visiting him recently. And when I rolled into town in 2017 for the first camp that I did with Adam and the Mariposa players, the locals were very curious about who I was because I was there in like tourist off season. So it was mostly locals there. And and I kind of hinted at how small the town was. So I stood out like a sore thumb. And When I went to the coffee shop or when I went to go get a sandwich at the deli, people were super curious about who I was. And then I said that I was there for a soccer camp and everyone immediately knew that Adam was involved. And I'll give you another quick story about his mayor status. So Adam took me to a local restaurant called 1850 for dinner. And as we were eating, we couldn't go more than a few minutes without somebody stopping by the table to say, hey, Finney. And Finney is what he usually goes by. And Finney is a teacher at the local high school. And he said that most of the people that were interrupting us at dinner are just former students. But I've never met a high school teacher who has an item on the menu named after him. You can check out the picture of his menu item called Finny Fries in the write-up on 343coaching.com. Uh, and if you ever do get a chance to roll through Mariposa, California, I highly recommend stopping at 1850 and getting an order of Finny Fries. You will not regret that. Um, speaking of regrets, Adam did tell a story during this interview about two things that he does regret. And one of those was not snagging the 343 membership when he first heard about it. And this was back when Gary would open and close the registration and would say things like, who knows when it'll open again? And Finney missed out on the first round and dove in headfirst at the next opportunity. And he hasn't looked back since. And I think this interview will provide some great perspective for some of you who are maybe looking for excuses. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but Adam and Mariposa FC operate in extreme geographic isolation with an incredibly low population, and they have every imaginable obstacle in their way, and they still decide to give or decide to give their players opportunities to develop by providing things like pickup games and camps. And they also have every reason to not care what type of soccer they play, but they choose to teach and play possession based soccer. So what's your excuse? What's stopping you from giving your players the education that they deserve? Actually, what's stopping you from getting the education that you deserve? We all have something that can stop us. But refusing to be stopped, no matter what the circumstances are, is actually what 343 is all about. And if you'd like to learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Program and the program that changed the way that Adam and myself and hundreds of other coaches have learned to teach the game, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And it is that program that actually helps to fund and sustain this podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast, that's another way that you can also help keep this podcast rolling. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the podcast with Adam Finney. business all right here we go we are in mariposa california and i am with adam finney and miguel i don't know your last name miguel ramirez so uh this is my second trip to mariposa and uh, i'm gonna let adam explain the the setting in just a second but um this is the second time that, that i've been fortunate enough to come up here and work with these guys and their club and their high school players for a camp setting, and it's been an awesome experience. This time it was an awesome experience last time, um, but I want Adam to paint the picture of, of, not only where we are like right now at this moment, but also just Mariposa in general, and then kind of paint the picture for the the club that you guys have have developed, and then what you do with the high school as well. So let's uh, okay. let's hear from it. Let's hear from Adam. Adam. Uh, yeah. Well,
1: we're in Mariposa, which is. One of the gateway communities to Yosemite National Park, we're about 42 miles from uh, Half Dome. closer a little bit. There you go. Yeah, we're about like 42 miles from Half Dome. And our players live in Yosemite Valley in the closest gateway community, which is uh, El Portel, which is mainly where people who uh, operate in Yosemite, where their houses are located, Um and then we have uh, the town of Mariposa and then the players that live in Mariposa County as well. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting about Mariposa is there's only one high school in the entire county and it's a pretty big county. So we have players coming from, sometimes there may be like a 60 or 50 mile spread between players' houses that all go to the same high school or go to um, play for the same club. And, and, it's funny because today I drove from Mariposa
0: into Yosemite. I got a chance to kind of check out the national park, and, and it was an amazing experience doing that. But along the way, you get to see that entire spread of you know, how, just how far it is from Mariposa to El Portal or, or uh, Yosemite Valley like proper, like inside the park, right? And so when you say like 50, 60 miles to some people, like I just interviewed Jerson Perez, for instance, right? And within 20 miles of Jerson's club, there's three full development academies along with uh, who knows how many other you know soccer clubs that, that exist in that area. So when I drove from Mariposa this morning into Yosemite, I think I passed maybe three other small towns or communities, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Total population between Mariposa and Yosemite Valley, I think if I added correctly, is still less than 10,000 people. Yeah. Is it's, that about it's right?
1: Probably less than 5,000. Okay.
0: <laughs> so you guys have a very unique situation here in in the area that you operate in. And I'm I'm really really curious of a lot of things, but but specifically, you know, how you guys are able to kind of pull together what you guys what you guys do. So number 1, how you guys operate. And number 2, why you guys have decided to to try to do it the way that you've done it, and so Adam, I'm i fortunate enough to have had dinner with you multiple times, and you've told me about your dealings with NorCal and and you know the struggles that have happened with trying to build a club in this small community, and uh, I, I think it's I think it's important for you to kind of paint that picture for people to understand, so they understand exactly what it's like for a small community like this to to be included or excluded from the picture
1: yeah we're a small community and we're kind of geographically isolated then the next closest club to us that plays competitively is from mariposa which again it mariposa is 45 miles from yosemite valley and then from mariposa the next closest club is 45 miles uh, pretty much due west um which is in merced there's Merced's a pretty big town um and there's two major clubs there uh, they just built a uc there and and then there's a there's some clubs in fresno which is about 65 miles from us and then oakhurst is about 30 miles from us and it's between us and fresno and they're they have a cysa league and some like rec travel kind of stuff and they've also done some some travel teams kind of out of there. So for players who want to play competitively, um they have to they have to travel. And I was fortunate enough to kind of get the opportunity to play competitively without knowing really how special it was. I had a friend who started playing uh club in Merced when he was in 8th 7th or 8th grade and and they the team was really good. Like they were perennial kind of semifinalists in state cup for NorCal at that time. And this was like the late nineties. So when I got to start playing with that team, they had a lot of players who were going on to play in college and um, had a lot had obviously won a lot of games and and so I kind of got brought into that culture really quickly. <laughs> and for kids in Mariposa, like that culture didn't exist here at all. So when when we would play for the high school, um, we would try to kind of bring some of that culture to the game here. Uh, I grew up in Mariposa and then um, went went away to college and never wanted to come back. Um, Was working in Yosemite, which is a very different scene than Mariposa, too. Just for everyone listening, Yosemite is a international city in the summertime. There's people there's travelers from all over the world. There's workers from all over the world. And so Mariposa is like a small gateway community that is also very rural and very Western. And then you have Yosemite, which is this international destination. So, you know, having grown up here and and having seen all that, you know, I didn't necessarily want to live here as an adult. And then, uh, but I was working in Yosemite and kind of doing that thing and going back and forth between there and San Luis Obispo. And then when I became a teacher, I kind of refell in love with Mariposa and wanted to work here professionally and, and, and coach here. So long story short, like for me, um, wanting to have an opportunity for kids to play club soccer in a small town like Mariposa has always been, even going back to when I was a player, something that was always a goal. And and seeing how much it, it helped me and the other people that were spe- uh, privileged enough to get to go do that, I wanted to kind of sort of help other players in mariposas be able to have those chances. And then, of course, also getting involved in coaching at the high school level, I could see instantly that for players to advance, they had to play competitively. <clears throat> so that was kind of like the beginnings of the club. And uh, I had a phone conversation with Gabe Rude back in 2006 about how do we start this when U.S. Club Soccer was first starting, and he's always been a big supporter of us and then uh Norcal when we did apply to become a club in i believe it was 2011 um they've always been supporters of us as well uh as of late we've we've had a little bit of difficulty trying to uh field teams at, at enough age groups to really be relevant in Norcal and we made a decision as a club to instead of just always trying to run teams out there really try to invest in our players because we're such a small community with such a small population of players we don't have the ability to pull from other clubs because of our geographic isolation uh who we have is really who we have so we just wanted to have a player development model and that has been a multifaceted. uh process (laughs) to say the least i thought you were gonna say problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah that too um you know you look at merced and there's probably 1500 kids at any given time playing that are soccer first players and that 1500 is the population the total population of mariposa right and you know they're in their youthly in their rec leagues there's probably 3000 and 1500 of those kids I would say conservatively, um, soccer first, you know. And they have some phenomenal club teams there. And so for us, our our po- population of soccer players who play at all is probably around 200 to 250 if we were to just maximize and get everyone that was interested playing. And out of that group, um, the soccer first demographic is much less, obviously. So we've had to kind of figure out how we – how we present our product, like our club, what we're offering, and then also how to make player development and the style of play and what we want to accomplish something that's not just about um, the end product, but also about the process. Because when you're working with four and five year olds, you know you're you're obviously not you're not trying to like line them up and evaluate them as players yet. You're also making an investment in the family and trying to get them on board and show them what the soccer first culture looks like. I'm, I want you to
0: go into exactly what you guys have have built from that four and five year old level. So you're obviously a teacher at the high school. You coach the the girls at the high school. I think that's important to highlight, and and that's kind of like the the last stage of soccer that's available in Mariposa. But there's I mean there there are, there are steps in between that as well starting at the youngest ages and I've I've had a chance to see what you guys have have kind of uh, built and I think it's 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 awesome so I want you to kind of brag about that and then actually if you can talk about some of the struggles about that as well cuz I know that 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 exists as well.
1: Yeah so right now we we have a pickup program that we offer at two nights a week and Miguel has been helping out a ton with that. Just we're, we've we been trying to kind of platoon the, the pickup program. We're, it's a hour and a half, and the, we have players ranging in age from 4 and 5 to 18. And we try to offer two games, so the little guys can choose if they want to play with the other little guys. That's fine. And if they want to play with the older ones, then, then they can get in that game too. Um, I'm,
0: I, I want to ask too, and I, I, we don't need to explain who he is, but Weston are there other Weston's like, are there other kids like Weston, like Weston's what five. Yeah. And so are there other kids like Weston that choose to go to the older game or is, is he, is he like a
1: special case? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Cause we, we've,
0: <laughs> go for it.
1: I think this is kind of like a, a three, four, three thing too, where you kind of, I, maybe I'll learn this from you guys where you promote and you, you market what you're doing, but you're also not just trying to get anybody to come no matter what. So we, we put it out there, but we kind of have like a soft opening every time we do something because we want to kind of see who's really interested. And we've learned that word of mouth is probably the best uh, promotional method up here. So if we do something and we kind of see, you know, who's really, you know, chomping at the bit to get out there and who's kind of, you know, maybe hit or miss. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely other Westons that want to jump in those games Right now, um, there's a handful of sort of like six and seven and eight year olds uh, that are that are sort of keen on getting in with the, with the the older players. And in addition to the pickup, what other opportunities to do those
0: age groups have to play in this area? Because, like you mentioned, like the next nearest club is 45 miles or you know beyond that is maybe 60 65 miles and that's absurd to think that a five or six or seven year old is going to travel that far to play you know their next opponent so what do you guys offer for that age group
1: yeah so when we do our uh fall program we we kind of run it with our older players as mentors and we bring in certain helpers and we kind of run it as a whole club academy per se we do the rondos and the, some of the little positional games, and we try to teach a style of play, um, which at 4 and 5 looks a little different than it does at <laughs> 9 and 10 for sure. But um, we we kind of run it as a club-based sort of uh, what they call like an, a house league, I think. So rather than setting it up where the focus is on each team and we pit teams against each other and we, we really keep standings for for the grassroots rec league or whatever we we try to really focus on again investing in the players and trying to make it as fun as we can for them now one thing we've learned like the last two falls running this program is that um the players do like the competitive aspects of it and they'll they'll be able to tell you how their team's doing um without
0: you pointing it out right like they know the score or they know their record or
1: yeah yeah and that some of their cuz we don't like publish the scores their their scores are a little fantastical sometimes like they might be off you know by a few goals or 5 or 10 but they're keeping track and for the most part they know you know what team's winning what team has the ball the most and all that and so we've been running those games, trying to follow like the small-sided game, uh, age-appropriate, like four v four up through, u eight, and then going to the bigger numbers as you get older, um, modified games, and we do like really like to invite the younger players to play with the older players. So that's kind of like our model that we've been running in the last couple of years. Uh, one thing that we did was we bought uniforms that are all the same for all the players. Even though they're like rec players per se, we bought all the same club uniforms, and then they wear pennies uh, for their teams. So then, with the idea being that the the clear message is that we're all one club, we're all really one team, um, and hopefully we'll be populating teams for Mariposa to go down and play uh, other communities uh, as, with the with the end goal of what we're doing. You know, not just like the Blue Dolphins are going to try to beat the Pink. Panthers 50 to three (laughs) this weekend because pink Panthers top three players are traveling because their brother's graduating or something, you know, it's all those problems that I know you're aware of that happen in the rec world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I experienced them over the weekend. Um, At what age do you foresee that happening? So, and I mean happening like populating those teams and, and starting to branch out and, and compete against other communities that are, you know, outside of Mariposa. So at at what age do these kids start
1: to to branch out like that? Well, when we started the club initially, we started it um, years ago um, where we got some help from, like, Danny Cruz and FC Sacramento where they kind of took us under their wing because we were actually taking kids all the way to Manteca, which is... Gosh, probably eighty miles from us to play club. The older kids, like the sixteen and, and seventeen and you mean, year olds, and you
0: mean taking them, like taking them to be on a team or taking yeah. them to play games. Taking them to be on a team. So their home team was eighty miles away. Yeah, got it.
1: And that was because uh, when I got into coaching, I was looking for off season opportunities to to for the players to play and. That was right when U.S. Club was starting, and CYSA was uh, the kind of state-level competitive program. So I knew some coaches there, and, and they invited our players to come out and try out, and and uh, they kind of took us under their wing. Um, and Danny offered to charter our teams through Sacramento FC, which was his club. Um, and so we kind of were like one of those cl- we were this was back in like 2008 we were one of those clubs that didn't really have a home we had we were listed with a sat. we were a satellite club basically and I know NorCal has tried really hard to eliminate that because it poses all sorts of problems you know obviously when you're playing in a league and you have a team that's listed as a club from you know Mariposa but they play their home games in Stockton and then they you know so it's really confusing for everyone and so, but back then, that was early days. Was the Wild West? That's what we did to start it off. And then when we started our own club for real, like in Mariposa as our home base, uh, we went right into NorCal and we we competed at the silver level at U10 and U11. And um, <laughs>
0: now, why why silver at that at that time? Like, did you guys choose to go there? Did they put you there? Did you earn it? Did you?
1: That was the level that we could get our team into. There was no like there was no bronze or copper or so if we wanted to play a travel soccer that was through norcal premier which i think is by far and away the best program for players um in this part of california that was the level we had to compete at and so we were playing like clovis odyssey and clovis alliance and uh, modesto ajax in our league and of course they have junior programs and are pulling players from a large uh, youth prog- you know, youth rec league, and they probably have two or three teams at each age group. So it was a steep learning curve for us. Um, some of the players that you've got to know over the last few times, like Ava and Lupin and um, the Twins, uh, Nathan and Alex and Ramiro, and all those guys played on those early teams. So um, actually the boys did a little better that year. They tied some games, and I think – one one maybe the first year, oh maybe just maybe just like, nope. a, maybe just a tie. Um, they did get a result though. The girls we we had a, I think we did O for the first year. We got beat up on pretty good the first season, and then we we did the the play dates. NorCal Premier offers this phenomenal play dates for U uh, eight through U ten in the spring, and it's like a soccer one day festival. You play thirty minute games. And you can pick and choose the ones you want. So you're not stuck in a league where if you're overmatched, you're just getting pounded week in and week out. And we actually won our first game in the playdates um, against a, a big club from the Bay Area. And the coach actually came over during the game and said, look, you know, we're a silver team, but I have some ringers from the gold team from our club that I was instructed to play if it got close. But you guys are so freaking awesome, and you play with so much passion. There's no way I'm going to do that to you. And Ava went off and scored a hat trick in the second half. That's badass. And we won our first game um, for our club. Um, But as I found out, you know, as the kids get older and they get to that junior high age, there's a lot of competing interests, especially when they get into school sports. So they're playing maybe middle school volleyball, middle school softball, middle school basketball so they want to play for their school and then uh, you're trying to have a club soccer team and uh, what ends up happening is the really top players who are going to go play at the premier level they're not really interested in at some point they they have loyalty to their club but they're also interested in playing at the highest level they can get to which if they stay at Mariposa, they might have to play down a couple levels. So what was happening was some of the top players were getting headhunted by other clubs. And I told the parents like, hey, if, they were, if, if it was my child, I would do the same thing. If my child wanted to play in college soccer or try to play at the highest level, there's no way that you should be playing silver bronze when you have the opportunity to go play state premier. So uh, that was something where we kind of inadvertently became a feeder club. Um, where we send about the top 5% of our players down to the bigger clubs. And then talking to uh, like Daniel Cham- Chamberlain at the time with NorCal and Gabe Root and some of these guys, like that's something that smaller towns kind of have to do. They have to accept that there's a chance that their better players are going to move on beyond their teams at some point. Um, and so that's become part of our sort of reality too. Another struggle with that, though, is that when you have a team that you've invested many years into and they start to break up, you, you kind of, you know, especially if you don't have a large coaching staff, you, then you have to kind of rebuild. And in order for us to do that, we took the advice that the U.S. club soccer folks gave us back when they first started the first week of uh, the conversations about what we could do at Mariposa was start at the U6 level they were telling everyone this back when there was an article in the in the modesto um paper and that's how because they had a big tournament in modesto and there was a, information about us club soccer and so that's how i knew about them and called them and then uh that's what they told us i said you know you guys are crazy if you think you could start at u10 u11 like you need to start at u6 Um, so we kind of started at U10, um, (laughs) before, and it was awesome because we got to coach some, some great kids. And now we're kind of looking at it and realizing that this go around, we want to do it right. And we want to develop players up. We want to have, uh, you know, like a, basically a 14 year plan with players, a 13 to 14 year plan. So if we start working with them when they're four, when they graduate high school, that's like sort of the, the culmination of everything that we can do with them. It's hard. It's hard for me to, to kind of ask
0: certain questions because if I can, if I can kind of describe Adam to everybody, he's a super positive guy, uh, very, very mellow, very level headed, um, very measured with, with what he says and and articulate as well as as you guys can hear. Um, and, it, and it, it pains me to even want to ask, a, a, you know, a negative question, but how do you deal with having, you know, O for seasons, you know, O for 10, O for 12, whatever the season long is, right? And so how, how do you as a coach deal with, you know, winning zero games or one game or two games year after year after year and still being able to stay the course?
1: Well, in terms of the club thing, um, it was it wasn't. Yeah, the first season was rough, and then we did show a lot of improvement. But the other thing that got us, which is kind of ironic, was at that time at U eleven spring, you went to eleven aside full field. So because we're a small town, um, we had players from like. Th- you know like an age span of 3 to 4 years on our team and so we had um true U11 players, U10, U9, maybe a U8 on the team which normally I don't would not use as an excuse but when you're dealing with um players that are smaller and you're playing on a 120 by 70 yard field at that level that was just detrimental to us so um, because the the running, you know, and, and just the amount of kickball the other some of the other teams played um, and just so you would play certain teams that would be really developed in like Ajax. Like they have a philosophy. They play out of the back and it's a learning experience. And you play other teams that had all 11 of their players like, you know, pressing 30 yards out from the goal, trying to win the goal kick in my goalie. You know she's nine years old and she can't hit the ball forty yards in the air, so it made it really hard to play out. And we just tried to play out no matter what. But you look at a player like some of the players that you've seen that we have that want the ball and no matter what situation they're in, that's because when they played on that team, we played it on the ground and we played out as best we could no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were they they accepted that. Like the players knew that they were getting better, mm-hmm. and. And so that really was a, a positive. Um, I think what also was a problem for us was we were probably like a bronze team. When we played bronze, we did fine. We were like middle, you know, we would probably lose or tie half our games and maybe win three or four or five of games. So we were kind of in the middle to bottom tier of the league, but definitely improving um but then when there was no bronze division for us to like really go through and earn promotion to silver and we just had to play like silver gold there'd be two maybe three silver teams and six gold teams and we're a bronze team that you know so for us it was kind of didn't have a home basically i mean kind
0: of kind of like your like the club in general Uh right like it, it just didn't have a place in that in that league or in the in the pyramid
1: Yeah, and that's kind of a good point because when we started off, we were just kind of like a satellite floating out there. And then when we started Mariposa FC, the whole idea was like, this is our club. We went through it. I did the coaching license requirement to apply to NorCal. And (laughs) I had a year, and so I had to make some, you know, budgetary moves to make that happen and pass those classes. And then um, we did it, and then, yeah, it was kind of frustrating because we really wanted to play at. The level that we felt we were at, and then earn promotion to the next level. But to fill out the league, we kept getting thrown into a higher level than we probably should have played at. Just based on your age, like you
0: guys <clears throat> aged into the next division, basically. Like-
1: yeah, like they just yeah, exactly. So you play one season, and you look and you you sign up, and like right now the sign up for the fall is like I think June. The cutoff is June. T- 30th or something Mm -hmm. so we say okay we're going to sign up for u8 for the fall and we sign up at the level that we maybe want to play at like least competitive and then when the fall rolls around and where the league like the the league is announced maybe it's the region eight gold u8 league and we're in it (laughs) um so that's just so they ran out the numbers yeah um and so yeah that's been that was one of the frustrating aspects of it and and in terms of like going back to your question about how to deal with like losing games um yeah that that's always difficult and it's really important for the players for their confidence and for their game management to know that that what they're doing works and that you know if they if they do it correctly and they grow into, into the plan, into the system that they're going to be successful. So, um, I think what was happening, like one, one observation is, um, you have sort of like your soccer first players who are going to keep playing no matter what. And then you have the players who are kind of there because they don't want to play rec, but they're also, they want to do 18 other things. So there were some divisions there that happened in the middle school age, And I I think that's a pretty common thing for clubs in small towns, uh, at least was what I've heard. And it's one of the reasons why the better players tend to go to the bigger clubs. Um, But in terms of the other side of it, uh, I don't think that players really care at the U8 level if they're winning or not, as long as they're having fun with their friends and they feel like the game is exciting. You could say the same for U nine. If you're winning some games and they see that they're improving, but by the time you get to U eleven and U twelve, it, it is about game management and fitting in to the like fitting what you're working at practice into the game and seeing like results from that. Um, <clears throat> so, I think that yeah, that was that was difficult. Um, luckily, you know, at least at the high school level, we tend to win a lot. So. um, uh, especially on the girls' side, so it's it, it's not like endemic in the entire community that we never win. So that's that's been really nice. And but I think it goes back to as well um, the player development side of it because if you're starting at U six, you you are gonna win. You know, you're and you're playing in, at the lower levels, but starting at U ten, U eleven, there's some. There, it's it's pretty hard to catch up and that's one thing that I didn't realize like how difficult it was and I think it it all all across the board like youth soccer competitively has gotten like it used to be you could kind of jump in at U12 and you know sink or swim and then after a few months you catch up with everyone if you're a decent athlete and I don't think it's like that anymore no, no way no it's
0: the whole the entire youth soccer landscape has really taken a a big turn from what it used to be. And and I can, I, I, I see what you guys have here in Mariposa and I, and I have an idea of kind of the surrounding area and, and what you guys experienced in Merced and Clovis. Cause I used to go there and play high school tournaments and and whatnot. Um, and I feel like that's very similar to what I experienced. It's completely different now, completely different, you know, in 15, 20 years, it's all, it's all changed.
1: Um, I want to change gears though. Well, let me just add one more thing okay. on, on that topic. Uh, another big reason was that I was stupid and I didn't sign up for 343 no, when first went No, public. no, no, hold on, hold on.
0: Cuz this is what I wanted to lead into cuz yesterday when we were leaving dinner, you said that you've made two mistakes or you made two big mistakes. And, and it had to do with coaching education. And so I wanted to kind of lead you into this topic. Okay. So, so yeah, last night we were leaving dinner and we're, we're in the car, we're on the way back to Adam's house and he's, he's like, yeah, like the two dumbest things I've ever done were, and I'll let you finish the story.
1: So when I, when I played, I was lucky enough to play for a, a guy named Ozzy Tosti. Um, he's a Portuguese American and he, was a really successful coach, and I just played on a, like a regional, like high school all-star at a North South game, and he was the coach. And really charismatic guy. Spent a lot of time in Portugal, trained uh, positional games and um, choreography. Put and, a timestamp on this.
0: Like like when when is this?
1: 1999. Okay. And uh, so he became a club coach, and when. When we started our little satellite club, uh, like I said, in 2008, 2007, maybe, um, we were calling around other clubs that were part of US Club because it was such a new thing. Yeah, so I w- this is like 2007, 2000, 2007, maybe even late 2006. Um, and one of the clubs that wanted to play us was Manteca um, Rangers. And he was coaching. Ozzy was coaching at Mantica. so we we had a U nineteen team in Mariposa, which was which was rad. And uh, <laughs> we had some players that that came up from from Mexico that had played at a pretty high level in Mexico that were living and working around Yosemite, and so they would play, and. Um, that's a whole nother topic about getting worse at soccer when you move to the United States. Cause that was our experience. <laughs> like, um, but so we were kind of competitive. Like we, we played this, uh, Manteca team in a, in a friendly and, and held our own. And Ozzy was really complimentary of, of my team. And I was like, you know, 25 at the time. So I was just getting into coaching. And, and, um, when I started working with Ozzy, shortly thereafter um through the club and then later he went to Modesto Ajax and I, I got to coach with him for a little bit there anyways during that time um he went in on and won a, a U.S. club championship with their their they had like an open tournament they still it's their national tournament and um so I coached with him after that but when i spent time coaching with him it was all very positional oriented he didn't call them rondos but it was the possession boxes and then choreography patterns every day um with different elements of pressure added different elements of building out added kind of um almost like some of the flying changes stuff that uh that we looked at were just brilliant um positional games to fit the gameplay methodology and I kept asking Ozzy, like, what I should do to become a better coach. And he suggested getting my licenses because uh, he had gone and got his C license and had a pretty good experience. And so I started doing my licenses. But, um, and I'm not sure, like, I know sometimes it varies who the instructors are, or, or like, the pedagogy changes, you know, every few years or whatever. But, um, I kind of bought into the USSF like small sided pedagogy and like the stop freeze methodology and teaching the technique and tactic like the progressive methodology and and then I also did uh, the NSCAA courses up through the advanced national and what happened was I was that stereotypical coach that would go and just. Um, buy a bunch of coaching DVDs or anything see, to get my I, hands on.
0: I, Adam, I'm looking over your head, and I see a stack
1: of DVDs. <laughs> I know. Those are for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's a souvenir. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've studied English in college, so I come from, like, a research background. So I thought, hey, if I do a lot of research, that will help. And what I did was I became a worse coach because... Every single day it was some new thing and the the little modified games were too complicated for the kids. Um, Sometimes I would get it right and you would see growth, but it was never um, a really predictable continuum of growth because there was no player. There was no um, methodology to our, there was no style of play. It was just, Hey, we want to play out of the back. Hey, we want to keep the ball. And So I I just started to reflect on that and, yeah, the other dumb thing. So one of the first things that I did that was dumb was I could have gone on and taken the C license and maybe the B license at that time, but instead I was doing the NSEAA classes. And right when I was finishing the Advanced National, they stopped the uh, crossover policy. So then I was, like, going to have to go back and redo all the USSF classes that I had essentially skipped. And uh, that was frustrating just from a monetary standpoint and a time standpoint. Um, Luckily enough, having the advanced national was what it took for a coaching director in NorCal. It was either a C license or advanced national. So I was fine there. And then I had kind of got into the NSCAA thing and I just spent $600 buying all the videos from one of their conventions, like all the field demonstrations. It's like, I don't know, 50 different videos that you, it was a digital file. Um, ironically, I went to access them and the, the warehouse that had been hosting it was like no longer there. And they gave me a number to call so I could access them. (laughs) I was just curious about them, uh, recently, but, um, that's right when 343 went public and I was thinking to myself, Oh, you know, this seems like a lot of money to spend on coach education. I just spent a lot of money. You know, these guys are great. I love the video. I love the That's how I want to play. But, you know, I don't know. I'll just I'll just wait a little bit. <laughs> that was the dumbest thing that I ever did. And that's directly cor- that's a direct cor- corollary to my team's not succeeding because I had some really good ideas in retrospect. But especially when you're working with young players, especially with young players, you have to have the the methodology down and you have to have the vision of how you want them to play and you have to have the, the sample of activities that you draw from. Uh it has to be, you know, really really figured out. It can't it can't be this sort of like happenstance go, Oh, one week we're gonna do this, then we're gonna do this. I mean because young players will grow in advance, but they need that that system. They, they need that sort of, um, I guess, it's kind of like what I see Pep do for his teams. That he provides them like a context for their development, not just like giving them goals. Yep, now it's, it, it's really interesting. I've had the very
0: fortunate experience to have a good relationship with Brian and to be able to have a lot of conversation with brian that that people don't know about and we've had the chance to record a lot of the conversations that aren't public yet at this point um and and they're fresh in my mind because we just recorded them like two weeks ago but uh but one of the things that he that he mentions in in one of the conversations we had is that players are going to ask why hey we're going to play out of the back and the players are going to ask why and you, as a coach, you have to have an answer for that type of stuff. And, and players are going to be curious and they're going to get to a point where, you know, they're not seven or eight years old and, and maybe they're 15, 16, and, and they're going to be, you know, demanding the answers. And, and, and they're going to want to know the, the reasons behind them, not not just, you know, being told what to do. Like they're going to want to know why they want to do certain things. And that's super important as a coach. And one of the stories I've told, I don't know if I've ever told it on the podcast before, but it's something I always come back to is this moment when I was coaching JV Boys Soccer and coaching Ian Lane's team. So anybody that's a follower of the podcast might remember the episode I've done with Ian Lane. Um, and I sat him down at halftime of this, like JV Boys Soccer tournament, high school tournament. And and I I remember wanting them to play a certain way, but at that moment realizing like, I didn't know how to coach the way that I wanted them to play. I didn't know how to get that out of them. And so that was like 2000 and oof, maybe 2007. And I think I was maybe 21, 22 years old at the time. So as a young coach, I, I realized like, hey, like this is how I want my team to play. But I don't know how to get them to that point. And that's when I started to really like to seek out more information i did the same thing i have i have dvds in my room i have fucking books galore dude and i have fucking boxes of of papers of me you know trying to solve problems and and write out sessions and stuff and it's hilarious to go back and and watch some of that stuff but it wasn't until i settled on like this you know small sample like you said like a and 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 i like the way that you said it like everything has to you know come from a small sample not necessarily, Not necessarily. Everything has to stay a small sample, but everything has to derive from that small sample. That all kind of stays in that same idea of of that same vision of how you want your team to play ultimately. And I think we kind of talked about that today. Like, hey, like, yeah, like this is the way that you know this exercise is running, but it's based off of this principle, right? And as long as that principle kind of stays in line with how you want your team to play, then then that's okay. But if you're switching from fucking A to z in in a two-week period then your players are fucked sorry for my language i've had two glasses of wine (laughs) now
1: (laughs) well and part of the problem with like the progressive methodology whatever you want to whatever they want to call it like what's it now called like play learn play play uh play practice play yeah Yeah. Play, play practice play yeah i think part of the issue is like when especially when you you see a coach, but that's Adam, a... hold
0: on b- before you go any further. So that that is eliminated after the D license. Oh, okay. So pre- play, practice, play is the way that they've restructured the okay. grassroots and the D license. But after the D license, it switches. So then then it be- becomes something completely different.
1: Is it, pro- is it like the progressive thing where you're adding pressure, or adding complexity? Yeah, so you, yeah. Start, you,
0: you start small-sided. Yeah. And so like your warm-up might be, th- this is the way that, the- I don't want to say too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing actually. So like three versus two for instance, mm-hmm. and then you grow to five versus four, and then eight versus seven, and then 11 versus 11. Like that's an example. Yeah,
1: that's kind of the way that in SCAA classes work too, like you're- you have your warm up and your directional, and then depending on what level it is, it's different numbers. But basically, you're you're building, and your games are supposed to optimize like whatever you're working on. So if you're working on combination in the final third, you're supposed to have some sort of um, penultimate uh, game that is, you know, different numbers that sort of has game realistic pressure, but enables more opportunities for those types of combinations to happen you know the, the only issue with that is when you see somebody like um my my friend ozzy when he was coaching who is a master at position uh, little possession boxes and choreography they're not doing that they're not doing that in that way they're getting the they're getting uh, I, th- I think the word used with the rondos is like multi-directional or omni like there's they're getting a multitude of things at once, mm-hmm. and they're reinforcing their um, their vision for how they want their team to play. and And so, it's not that the progressive methodology or whatever is wrong. It's just that when you're trying to figure out a way to reinforce a skill, sometimes like that six versus eight thing with two neutrals and boxes and whatever, it's it's too. It's too complicated for that, and yeah, it is really close to Eleven Aside, but um, it it's not what it's 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 a derivative of Eleven Aside that it's ultimately chaotic because they don't have their like the game methodology or whatever the vision of the game hasn't been hasn't been taught and learned yet by those players. So it you know it'd be like trying to have a I don't know I I could get into that heavily, but I think it's probably easier just to look at when you see coaches with UEFA licenses and, and player uh, coming over and doing demonstrations. It's a little closer to like what I experienced. And, and I think that, um, the three, four, three coach education lends itself obviously to however you want to apply it. And, and, you know, we, I don't know, Brian talked about that at the, um, at the, at the, uh, forum in Fullerton and how, they are doing progressive types of games, um, Galaxy, those on the Q&A. But, I mean, so it's just kind of interesting, though, because in my own little microcosm, right, because that's what I always keep realizing is, like, we're a microcosm. There's a lot of small communities like us in this country, and trying to teach, trying to develop players, um, I found personally that having those core activities and – sequencing the 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 practices and the trainings around them has helped our style of play exponentially beyond the other um things that's cool to hear and and it's
0: something i i think about often like as, as when it comes to like the educational aspect you know there's like a, there's a pass or fail aspect to the USSF courses i've never taken an NSCAA course but i'm assuming that there's a pass or fail aspect to those as well. Maybe that's not as meaningful anymore now that USSF has kind of kind of made them irrelevant in a way. Like yeah. you know all the all the academy directors and everybody like you need USSF licenses now in order to get those positions, right? So um but because there's no pass or fail aspect to learning the 343 methodology, right? Like you're, you're able to just kind of watch it and absorb it, practice it. Um, and if something works great, like you know, keep doing it. Like, it, it, like if it's working for you, keep going for it. If it's not, if it, if it doesn't work, then you can reevaluate it and, and find another way to make it work or throw it in the trash can. Like maybe that's not going to work for you. That, that's fine. Like maybe that doesn't suit your players or maybe it doesn't suit your philosophy as a coach. That's 100% fine. But it's a, it's a true, in my opinion, learning experience when you compare it to the pass or fail uh, way of doing the, the USSF co- courses where it's like if you don't do a stop-freeze, in in your ten minute evaluation, you fail, and then your course is over in ten days. Like, you know, like you don't you don't get to go back and revisit that. You don't get to use that as a learning experience throughout the year, or whatever. Like, your course is just done, and and your money's gone.
1: Iron Chef, Iron Chef. That's You're true. You're not an Iron. You're not the next Iron Chef. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But
0: your Iron Chef moment becomes your games, right? Right. So like, so so. You know your Iron Chef moment becomes like, hey, when I play, when Mariposa FC plays against Merced or Odyssey or Sac Republic or whoever you guys end up playing, right? Like that's your Iron Chef moment. So if you guys here in Mariposa FC, that you know the town that has fifteen hundred people or whatever, and a club that has you know one hundred and fifty players or, or whatever it is, train a certain way, and you guys are able to go and perform, you know to a certain extent against another club like Sac Republic or, or another Nor- NorCal premier team or, or something like that. Right. That's your iron chef moment. Not, not you in a fucking coaching course like that yeah. to me, to me, that's backwards.
1: Well, and like, I don't necessarily think education has a lot to do with competitive reality television you know game shows basically like contestant that's not really what education's about like education is about sort of inspiring and igniting thoughts and ideas and innovation while at the same time mastering a curriculum that's very like possibly very old and and has a history to it, it has a, has its own like living kind of dynamic its own culture so when when you think about education um It's really hard to, to obviously, like high-stakes testing or whatever, it's really hard to gauge really what somebody knows in any given moment. But, um, you know, I think when like you see a team, like you guys always say, when you see a team play, when you see how the players play, when you see uh, what they do, how they're trained, it says a lot. And, I mean, this is just like a little plug for 343. Since we've started doing that, the program and our players have embraced it have we won every game no um do we play a a discernible style every game no matter whether it's a playoff game or it's a for high school or it's a friendly or it's pickup with five-year-olds and 18 year olds yeah and when you have when you when people in the know like they recognize it Sometimes they don't know why they recognize it. They just know that. Like we had this official that was like almost in tears. <laughs> it's so beautiful the way your team plays. It's so beautiful, and uh, and you know we had a coach. At one of our last games with that group of girls that started um, with the with the season that didn't win any games, and they finally won at the at the um, play dates, and then we played at at U twelve and uh, we tied a team one-to-one in our last game and the coach came up and said that we were the most organized team in the entire league and that he'd been coaching like 25 years and he wanted kind of to know like a little bit about how we how we played like that and that's just from that's just from the rondos and from the, the build out and from the patterns and And that's in a situation where we're not getting a chance to do it like four days a week, you know, year round. So, um, yeah, that's been, so yeah, circling back to, you know, the two dumb things that I did, those, (laughs) those were them. I I always, um, I don't personally know Michael Perkins, but I, I follow him on Twitter and he started 343 right at that time. And I, I somehow had known about him because he was down in the Merced area and so whenever I see, you know, cause he's like a year or year and a half or so it'd, it'd be on, you know, in front of me, actually probably two, because initially there was a point where Gary closed off membership. That's right. And so that's where I was. I came in, so I looked at it and I thought, eh, I'll wait. And I came back a week later and membership was closed off. That's right.
0: Um, and we talk about doing that all the time. Still, we talk about blocking it out because like, Hey, like there's a lot of people that are on the fence about, about getting in and and Gary's mentioned before, like, Hey, maybe I'll just close it. Like, Hey, Hey, you guys have 30 days. Who's, who's going to jump? Let's see. It's pretty funny. The way, the way that Gary talks about it is really funny actually.
1: Well, it's authentic. I mean, it's something that it's its own. It's its own self. It's its own thing. It's not like out there trying to, um, You know, you ever listen to that unmistakable creative podcast? No, I'm not familiar with it. It's a kind of for startups and business CEO and creative people and like people that are interested in writing books and stuff. So I got turned on to it. And they did one on marketing. And one of the, the lines that always stuck with me was that there's two types of marketing there's like the Nike methodology where you just get the swoosh on everything. And then there's like the word of mouth like you're so unique, you're so unmistakable at what you do that people are bound to find out about it because it's so different. And obviously 343 is that's that's the the 343 brand right there.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny when I talk when Gary kind of tries to direct me with how the you know the podcast how he wants the podcast to go and and I always run like a like an ad at the beginning of the, every podcast, right? And and we've talked about it many, 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 many times about how basically you know, it sucks, like the ad sucks. And and we don't want it to sound like an ad because it, that's not what we are. We don't represent, like, wanting to represent the mass uh, amount of coaches in the country. We're not for every coach, but we are for a certain segment of coaches. And, and so trying to drill down and find a way that, to connect with that coach that will benefit from this program and, and that and that this this program will help is challenging and it's challenging for me to write that you know as somebody that I, I'm not a fucking writer. I was talking with Joey about this earlier in a text message actually and it's like you know I, I had no idea what I was doing when I started a podcast and I still don't have any idea what I'm doing and I don't know how to write an intro and I kind of just wing it and uh, in a way, I guess, winging it and the way that I do it is authentic. And so it does resonate with some people because maybe they hear the authenticity of, you know, like, this guy's not a fucking podcast host. Like, who's this joker? Uh, You know, this is a soccer guy trying to host a podcast. And other other people might hear it and they might think the exact opposite. They might think, like, look at this guy trying to sell me on this stuff. He doesn't know what he's fucking talking about when it comes to soccer. He's just a podcaster. So I think about that all the time. And and Gary mentions. it it to me all the time and last week or two weeks ago maybe he had said like hey like you know you've been doing the same intro for a while you should try to switch it up and so I gave it a, I, I've given it a couple tries and I think on the second or third one when I when I tried to switch it up he's like now that was a 343 intro <laughs> and he doesn't give me feedback all the time but I was like all right cool you know that, that was a good one I haven't got a text message just sent, or I haven't got a text message sent. So maybe the other ones haven't been <laughs> been well, up to par. But yeah, and
1: Gary's feedback's golden. All it things.
0: is, it is, no, it is. And 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 this is the other thing too that, you know, I don't get a chance to talk about very often. And other people accuse me of on Twitter, like, "Oh, John, you're just a fucking fanboy," or, you know, "You're Gary's like little fucking shill," or, whatever. And it's like, no, I'm, uh, y- okay, yeah, maybe I am. Like, oh i can i can say that like i'm a fan of you know the work that he's done and that brian has done with with his teams over the years and i've i've learned a ton about soccer from these guys right and yeah do i believe in a lot of stuff they say absolutely like absolutely and they they've taught me a lot about uh soccer and 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 business like how how to you know start a coaching education program and and things like that but you know, do I agree with everything? No, I, I don't. Um, and, and people, I think want to, want to paint us as like, uh, you know, a, a group that, you know, comes up like these master plans to kind of just back each other up and, you know, put out this message. That's all the same. I maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, talk to Gary 10 minutes every week, 10 minutes, and if you think about like people that run companies or businesses, like you know, they have meetings every single day and they're in offices and you know, they share documents with each other and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe like 10 minutes or 15 minutes with Gary every week. That's that's about it. That's that's the extent of our uh, <laughs> our relationship. So it's just funny for like when I see like people when the, how how they portray us as a, a brand, maybe or uh. As as you know, people that work together—it's just—it it—it's hilarious to me.
1: But then there's also the other part of three four three—the magic of three four three—and I I I would say that it's about like, um, redemption and um, sort of like figuring like like coming—it's like the come to Jesus aspect of it, and not I'm not making a pitch for for Jesus. What I'm saying is. <laughs> When I, you know, and I go back to when I was talking, like I had that U19 team and we played Aussies team. And look, we didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to, to coach the positional game. I didn't know how to like move the six and the build up phase. I didn't know how to have, you know, the, the wings lose their mark and, and, and have the, the attacking mids, you know, check in such a way that opens that pocket. um, And if I did, it would have been a, way better game right because I had the talent even on that team was incredible um, and, and I think that's kind of what happens is like the retribution aspect of it where you go and you realize holy shit I've been coaching for 10 years and everything I was doing up till now when I, I come to the clear light the Tibetans call it the dharmakaya like the clear light you realize like <laughs> wow I've been doing a disservice to my players and I've, I've been a, yeah. I've been a charlatan. Like I have somebody yeah. who appreciates the beautiful game and I've been spewing bullshit for 10 years. Yep. And, and you know what? Like some coaches are in a position where they can make that transition. Like at the, the forum, I met all these coaches from surf and I, and there, I want to say there was like eight coaches from their club that all, you know, are members of 343 they were telling me and knowing what I know about surf like they're probably going to make that transition pretty easily because the caliber of player that they have and the amount of players that they have to pick from is pretty is pretty large so they can you know when you realize that you want a six that's able to vacate that spot in the midfield and check in in the build out and uh, play between the center backs you're probably going to be able to go out and see someone in the, in of the thousands of players in, in that area that maybe can do that, that maybe if you're a coach that didn't recognize that before that when you do, you, you're lucky enough to say, wow, I, I have that, or I can teach that because the innate ability and the, the, the skill of that, that player first demographic is so large that they're able to sort of instantly make that change. And it's kind of invisible, but for us, you know, I was coaching with Ozzy and I was coaching with Mario Tamayo and I was coaching with a gentleman named Sugar, and all like really high, That's high so funny the way you
0: say that, like a gentleman named Sugar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows him by Sugar and NorCal and he's uh, old, an old school Nor- NorCal team, one of the very first ones and uh, in the, from this area. And, you know, he's won a number of state cups at the younger age groups and has helped a ton of players go on to play at college does it all for free and um coaching you know state and na- nationally ranked teams and going to vegas with his u18 team was I'll never will never forget that experience um the kids played a trick on me where they got all little cards and I was the chaperone in the room. They turned the ACE, the heat up at night and I woke up, they had stuck all the cards to my back, all the sweat. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's going from coaching at that level to going to Mariposa and thinking, yeah, we're going to do this and then being humbled and then doing three, four, three and like, okay, I've seen the light. All right, we're going to do it now for real and having a player pool that's small and having to realize like these are the players that we have, I sometimes feel like you know I once read the book La, um, the Miracle of uh, Castel de Sangre, which is a story about an Italian ninth division team that moves up and up and up and eventually ma- makes it to Serie A uh, from a town the size of Mariposa. And That's um, badass. yeah, it's it's a crazy story. Um, it it's it definitely you know, there's, there's so much drama to it, but, uh, you know, there, there are these teams in the ninth division that are developing players and are are part of like, like the whole, like the Gandhi thing, like the little wheel that turns the big wheel, right. And the promotion and relegation and all that to have those teams that are feeding that whole, that whole, those whole nine levels or whatever, six levels, seven levels that, that they have. Um, and even at the youth level, um, But when you recognize that you know what you're doing and what you have been doing is wrong, but you now have to teach it. And and players are sort of just like a blank canvas when they come to you and you're, you're helping them to bring it out and trying to develop teams and something that Miguel and I have sort of worked well, had to realize like a difficulty is that not every age group is there going to be a team. So there might be, a player that's seven years old that loves soccer that's a soccer first player, but there just aren't enough other seven year olds in Mariposa for them to have a te- for him to have a team um, that plays year round. But maybe there's a four year old that there's like a boatload of four year olds right now that that could all form a team. So that's also like part of the strategy of what we're doing is trying to figure out what age groups can best support um, a competitive team. And but then there's this whole aspect of like redemption right like i've seen the light like i screwed it up before and you look back at all the teams that you coached whether it's at high school or club and you, you look at the innate talent in those teams that was wasted because you're screaming at the winger to like mark up and then whatever and they're out of position there's the, the, it's chaos right it's chaos powerball and there's even though you want to play the beautiful game you don't know how to teach it so the team doesn't really succeed at it yeah and it's, there's a lot of like I think struggles, um, because of bad coaching and that's a really, that's, that's, I think the hardest thing about education is real education, like three, four, three, when you recognize that what you've been doing up until that point is, is at a lower level, it's, it's fake, whatever, it's not right to accept that and be like, yeah, so I'm indicted in the fact that all these kids didn't have the experience they could have, they could have had. And I think that if more people were to take that position and like own up to that, we might see a lot more like positional soccer, positional play, um in in this country because I think one of the big like enticing things about chaos is it's the perfect alibi, right? It's like yep. you know. I don't know. It, it it all kind
0: of culminated last year in twenty seventeen with the US, you know, being eliminated from the World Cup. Hit the post, or or this this happened, or the weather, or we got conca-calf, like that chaos, like you just mentioned. Like it becomes the excuse, right? And if you don't ever embrace the other side, like like you're like you know like you said like a come to Jesus moment, or you know like if if you don't ever accept the fact that you're doing a bad job, then you can you can always retreat to, oh, yeah, like, well, we hit the post, or, you know, like, we were so close, or if if this would have happened, you never take ownership of it. But having that moment where you realize, like, you know, like, I've been letting my players down for five years or ten years or, or something like that. I think that's an important moment for you to realize as a coach. And and I pulled this up right now because I, I've been not journaling, but, like, writing Writing notes down. So on May 19th, 2018 at 9.18 p.m., I wrote like, I don't know what it's here. It's probably like 20 lines worth of stuff. But the second line says, for years, I thought my teams were badass until I learned just how far behind I really was. It's an honest, I mean, that's, that's an honest evaluation of how I used to be. And I had really good teams. And I always brag about the fact that, you know, I, I coach a team that went, let's see, 26 wins, two losses, one tie in a high school season. And we lost in the semifinals of uh, the state championship. If I would have coached them the way that I, I think is the right way now, I think there's a very good possibility we could have had, uh, what would that have been, 29 wins, no losses. I think that's a very strong possibility. I think I, I, short, I shortchanged those kids.
1: So... Yeah, it's it's interesting when you see like what Pep has done at at City and all the sort of detractors from him that thought he couldn't do it and now that he has done it it's all cuz of the money or whatever. The thing that always blows me away and even like even when I would study Van Gaal, like you know, he, he wasn't like a players coach per se, but he had a like a system in place for young players. They knew their responsibility. And they were able to train as a team, like the movements, the choreographed movements, depending on where the ball was. And they had to have possession of the ball in order for those moments to be able to occur. So some people would say it was kind of boring or whatever. Without a purpose or... Yeah, but what happened was is those players weren't running up and down the field endlessly. Um, And that's something that with training the, the little guys that it keeps sticking out in my brain is that I think Cruyff said it, like the first thing to teach a young player is how to walk. um, and, You know, like, <laughs> no, so I get, it. I get it. Yeah. Um, I keep wanting to say, you know, faster, come on. And and then it's like, well, maybe that's, that's where it needs to be. Maybe they should be chilling. It's
0: true. Uh, I want to, I only want to wrap up too because it's getting late, but, um, I want to ask you what what are you most looking forward to with your Mariposa FC group
1: of players right now? Well, one of the last conversations that I had with Daniel Chamberlain before he left NorCal to work with um the Earthquakes was we were t- kind of talking about the plan for Mariposa FC because we were struggling to field some teams. And and he was kind of saying that for a lot of big clubs, the goal is to get players to go on to play at college. Um, but maybe for Mariposa FC, like the goal should be to produce really top-quality high school players with the hope that, of course, they'll go on and play more. Um, but that's always been kind of exciting because... The fact that there's only one high school in Mariposa, they all play together
0: and not just Mariposa, but but like the the entire valley, right? like they like you mentioned earlier, that players come from Yosemite Valley to Mariposa to play,
1: yeah, so they're and then like all the way, there's an area north called Coulterville and um and then down to Lake Don Pedro. so it's a really big spread out area so it you're you're literally talking like, okay so. Yosemite Valley
0: took me about an hour to drive to this morning. So there's one high school that services, you know, a 60 mile, almost a 60 mile radius. In a Yeah, way.
1: basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Um, especially on the girls side, playing college is a doable thing. Um, we've sent girls on to play college. Um, and I think that's a wonderful goal, but, I think like when Miguel and I talk about the club, um, it's really about like having a vision and having um, having that social club aspect. We want to we want to get our own field someday. That's that's a goal, and land up here is, is not like it is in San Luis Obispo. So maybe maybe we will, and um, and just seeing the players coming through and doing right by them. Given the best, the best knowledge and ability that we have, and and let watching them go on to coach and go on to lead their lives and contribute to the culture of soccer in this country, uh, it's a it's always wonderful for me because Miguel actually played on one of my first teams, so <laughs> he can totally relate to me not knowing. Uh, He's just been nodding his head over a the whole time. He's like, Yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he he went through it all. So, um, you got to see all the experiments, all the crazy DVD drills. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think just, just, just again. <laughs> seeing, uh, seeing those players like Weston go through and, you know, maybe, maybe some players they're great at U6, U7, U8, and they decide they want to play basketball or football and they go and do that. That's fine too. Um, but just trying to establish that culture and be part of, be, be a part of, be like, um, a cell in the whole, in the, in the giant, um, you know, entity that is soccer in this country and, and and try to do the best we can to try to contribute to that positively. Um, I think that we're in a unique position because we don't have to compete with other clubs and we do have the luxury of having some wonderful, wonderful, uh, players like their attitudes, um, and and so it's just a great it's a great privilege. And you know what we're we're probably not going to be the odds on favorite when we go up against a town of 150,000. <laughs> you know, but sometimes it's nice to beat some of those teams. That's that's true. And and I want to I I, I want to underline and bold and
0: italicize and 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 just emphasize the fact that you have an amazing group of players here and and Miguel too on the on the boys side um i've never i've never encountered such a positive group of players and i we were kind of talking about this joking about it as we left the field today it's like you don't have a kid that like messes around or you know ruins the entire practice or um you know is a troublemaker it's like you guys literally today there was a group of like 30 kids that every single kid was a great kid and uh, I, I think that you guys have a special group, and I think the program that you guys are building is something special and and absolutely one hundred percent something that that everybody that's been part of it should be proud of. So I I want to say thank you guys for for trusting me to bring me up here and for for trusting three four three to be you know part of the developmental journey for for you and for your players. Um, and I know Gary's always big on saying like thank you for entrusting us with you know your development and your players development and for being part of your family's plan. And, and, um, that, that means, that means a lot to to us. So yeah, thank, thank you guys
1: for that. Well, yeah. And thank you for helping to, uh, get us out of the weird world of illus illusory DVD drills that we were living in. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> and, uh, keep looking
0: up at that stack of DVDs. Yeah, is that like ten DVDs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and
1: you know, and if if we do everything right, uh, th- there there is a UC um, in Merced now, which is about forty miles away, and so a lot of the professors are live, choosing to live in Mariposa. And um, if we do everything right in twenty to twenty-five years, you know, we we want to be one of those small clubs that you hear about in NorCal that's just a, s- a tiny little gym, and this in, you know that's contributing. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's all, all credit to the players. I mean, those ones that have come through that you're referring to, they had all the reasons in the world to get disheartened and to start questioning what we were doing and say that the only way that they could be relevant is to kick the ball as far as they could down the field, no matter what the situation, whatever, question the system, question the positioning, question everything. And they've been nothing but supportive of us, and trusting of us and they embrace the three-four-three methodology and the style of play wholeheartedly and um, with every group that kind of goes through and graduates they leave a legacy you know for the for the younger ones coming up so it's a special time to be involved in soccer in Mariposa and uh, we're going to do our best to make sure that it continues for a long time.
0: right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Adam Finney. I hope you enjoyed hearing the stories and the struggles that he goes through with his club Mariposa FC. And I hope that you guys can take away something from his experiences and bring that back into your environment, whether it's club or high school or rec and use that as fuel to kind of push yourself forward and get past some of those excuses that might be holding you back. If you are interested in learning more about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that Adam credits for helping his development in recent years, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with one of our online courses.
1: And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of of, of the game on, on on how to how to develop, um, not just you know individual players but develop teams as well.
0: All right. Once again, you can find all of that information about the three four three coaching education programs and help to support and fund this podcast by visiting three four three coachingcom That's the numbers three four and three coaching, all spelled out dot com. All right. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.